Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. The chair will put Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. The bill is passed. We've created a commitment to America. Those in favor say aye. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Control, a podcast looking down the road at the issues and conflicts that will define the new Congress in 2023. I'm Annalise Keller, one of your hosts, and I'm, of course, joined by my colleague, Brendan Buck. Uh, it is now Wednesday afternoon as we are recording this episode. Uh, we've got a lot of votes still out there being tallied. Uh, we know Georgia is heading into a runoff, but we don't know a lot beyond that. Annalise, oh my gosh, so much to talk about today. What a perfect day to be filming or recording a podcast uh, about what's to come after the election. I think at this point we thought we would know a little more about who's going to be in control course, control, a seven-letter word. Uh, we don't quite know. I think we still think that there's going to be a House Republican majority, potentially a very narrow one. Um, and you know me, I think elections are fun, but what comes after elections uh, is perhaps much more fun. And I think the era we're about to go into for the next few months is going to be fascinating. So I'm excited to talk about it today. Uh, we have also an awesome guest for today, somebody who I think is going to be able to bring to focus a lot of the stuff we want to be talking about. Yeah, that's exactly right, Brenda. We have uh, Punchbowl News' Jake Sherman, who's going to be breaking down um, everything that happened and also, of course, what's to come, whether that's leadership races, what's to come in lame duck. Um, uh, but first, let's get into a little reaction on the election results. Before we do that, Sleep check. I know, uh, Annalise, you were in Pennsylvania last night watching the, the Senate race. I was up in New York City doing some TV with NBC. I got four hours of sleep. What about you? I got about three. Wow. Okay. Rough. Um, So tell me about Pennsylvania. You were out there. I think a lot of Republicans were pretty optimistic that uh, Dr. Oz was going to be able to pull this off. What, what What did you see out there? What do you take away from it? What does it all mean? Yeah, I think overall, it's a little bit too early to diagnose exactly what happened. I think we need more information, more time to analyze. But I think there's a few things to keep in mind um, as we are looking at the race. I think, you know, PA is a Democrats is a Democratic state. There's more Democrats registered than there are Republicans. And as you mentioned, Brendan, we knew it was going to be really close, tight toss up race. Um, But I think Republicans, uh, pollsters, operatives, pundits alike, were all looking at the environment as perhaps the reason that Oz was going to be able to pull this off. Um, And that just didn't hold true. There was not a Republican red wave, so to speak. Uh, And I think in particular, Republicans were looking at this metric of right track, wrong track with the Biden administration and feeling like these independents were going to break in their favor. And I think what we saw instead is a lot of those independents stayed home. It it struck me that, you know, we just... We talk about this all the time, but it it played out. We are such a closely divided country. We are so polarized. And I think Republicans just thought, eh, you know, Democrats will probably sit this one out a little or independents will will just, you know, be comfortable coming over to us. And ah, I mean, Democrats just came out, voter, Democrat voters just came out and and fought. And obviously this morning we're back in Washington now uh, and just a lot of hand-wringing among Republicans. I don't know what you're hearing, but a lot of people just trying to figure out, like you said, we don't quite know what happened. And I'm sure we'll be examining this for a long time. But what we do know is that 
Republicans did not have the red wave that we heard so much about. If there is a Republican control of Congress next uh, next year, it's going to be very narrow. Do you think this is a time for um, a party to have any type of self-reflection, or do we have to just kind of move forward and 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 you know try to get get on with our agenda? It seems like that's the message from Republican leaders right now. Yeah, I think one key area that we do maybe need to have a little bit of reflection on is uh, suburban voters for Republicans. Um, I think you saw that, you know, with maybe the notable exception of Florida, just a lot of challenges nationwide with suburban voters. Uh, And perhaps with the midterm, they, you know, the independents decided it was just not something that they were going to feel encouraged, whether it was a candidate challenge that they might have had um, or, you know, a policy message that they might have disagreed with. But just figuring out ways to energize those voters, I think, will be important moving forward. Um, but I think overall, we the party does need to move forward. But I think that's an inflection point that that should, you know, we should spend a little bit of time thinking about. All right. Well, this is not an election podcast. We will now move on from election stuff and start talking about what happens next. So um Obviously, everyone in Washington is now talking about House Republican leadership. Kevin McCarthy, does he have the majority to be the next Speaker of the House? I think that there are so many fascinating dynamics. So just today, Kevin McCarthy has put out his announcement to his colleagues that he is going to run for Speaker. Uh, Steve Scalise has announced he's going to run for Majority Leader. Uh, Jim Banks has put out uh, an announcement that he is going to run for Majority Whip. So what happens next? There is scheduled right now a leadership election within the Republican conference for next week. This is where behind closed doors, there will be a secret ballot to determine who the leaders are for the next Congress. Republicans are just operating under the assumption they're going to be in the majority. I don't know what they'll do if somehow that doesn't work out. Um, But as of now, they are plowing ahead as though they are the majority. They're having a, a, a speaker election. That matters some if you're Kevin McCarthy, but all you have to get in that closed door meeting is 50% of your colleagues. That's very different than what you need to do to actually become Speaker of the House. So there will be a behind closed doors leadership election next week, where I think Kevin McCarthy will easily get a majority of his conference to be the nominee for Speaker of the House. But it's not until January, on the first day of the new Congress, on January 3rd, or maybe it's fourth or fifth this year, Uh, when they will actually have the vote on the House floor determining who the next Speaker of the House is. And at that point, you need 218 votes. You need 218 Republicans. Democrats are never going to vote for a uh, Republican Speaker. And so if Kevin McCarthy only has a margin of four or five seats, which is very possible, that is a very narrow path to becoming Speaker. And it also provides all kinds of leverage for anybody who wants to take advantage of this situation and claim something. And we're starting to see that happen already. So speaking of claiming leverage, I think we saw some early maneuvering by the House Freedom Caucus coming in and um, going ahead and making some concessions. I think they're asking for some rule changes. They're asking for some process changes with the way that bills are considered and committees are established. Brendan, how do you see that playing out? Um, in, in the, in what do you see as possible in the, with those requests? So Freedom Caucus, in its previous iteration, and they were, I would say, a bit dormant during the uh, last couple of years, um, but in their in their first iteration, and you know well, having worked for a Freedom Caucus member, the thing they always talked about was process, that they wanted to have a process where 
they were part of uh, the legislative process on the floor, in committees, um, also making sure that it was only Republican priorities uh, hitting the floor. So uh, a few things that, that you may hear them talk about. A, some type of codification of what we used to call the Hastert rule, where a majority of the majority needs to be for something before it can become to the floor. That means if there's some ugly bipartisan deal they have to cut, if a majority of the conference isn't for it, you can't put it on the floor. I don't think that's particularly practical uh, and would put them in a real bind on things like a debt limit, but I could see them asking for that. I could see them seeking some type of uh, pledges on how many amendments are uh, available on appropriations bills. There's a thing called the steering committee. Steering committee is how you determine who's on what committees that you serve on. Uh, it's very leadership driven. They've always complained that there are too many uh, leadership votes to determine who gets on what committees. As you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene was kicked off of her committee. You've had some people who are questioning whether certain people should get slots on committees. They want to make sure that they are well represented on the steering committee. And then the big one, the motion to vacate. Are they going to try to put some place in, put in place rules that allow them to basically hang over the speaker's head at any time the ability to trigger a vote and kick the speaker out? I think that would be very dangerous. But those are the types of things I think they are going to be talking about. Whether they ask for those yet or not, um, we'll have to see. But with such a narrow margin, any one of these folks has so much leverage, and I will be very surprised if they don't try to use it. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I think also the um, the interesting piece about the steering committees as well. I mean, I remember some of these conversations around the fundraising goals on steering committees and some of the challenges that the Freedom Caucus members would raise of, you know, the way in which these committee chairmanships were, were doled out was always a big issue that I would hear repeated. They Yeah, they, they claim that there's too much money in the system, that you can only get on what we consider an A committee, a top committee, if you have contributed a lot of money to the NRCC. Uh, look, politics is a team sport. I think that's completely a reasonable expectation. If you are put on a top committee like Ways and Means or Energy and Commerce, where you're going to have the ability to raise a lot of money uh, that you should contribute to your colleagues so that you can actually win elections, uh, maybe do better than we did uh, this this past time. So yeah, I think they've got all kinds of stuff they're going to they're gonna be doing. So the obvious thing that it's also hanging out there, though, uh, if you're Kevin McCarthy, is Donald Trump. And a lot of chatter today about whether he is, uh, this is a moment to move past Donald Trump, whether this weakens Donald Trump. But I think you will agree, Donald Trump's support for Kevin McCarthy is still going to be very critical to his ability to get the speakership. Yeah, and I think he's already come out and said, you know, that he's going to be supporting McCarthy. And that kind of brings us a little bit to the Senate, which is a natural segue as we have the Georgia runoff coming up and a potential Trump announcement for president uh, in between now and, and the Georgia runoff in December. Uh, but looking a little bit at a potential, you know, maybe Majority Leader McConnell, or, um, how do you see that playing out with, with leadership races uh, and conversations in the Senate? Well, you tell me, you're, you're, the, you're the Senate expert, but I, I think what we, we saw this week, and we've heard a bunch before, but Mitch McConnell coming out and saying that he doesn't think, or excuse me, Donald Trump coming out and saying that Mitch McConnell should not be the leader of the Senate next time. He's uh, apparently thrown his weight behind Rick Scott of Florida, who's the chairman of the campaign committee. Um, I don't, think that Mitch McConnell is really at much of a risk, but it is very notable that you are actually starting to see some of his uh, Senate Republican colleagues talking openly about potentially challenging him, which is never anything you saw before. 
I agree with you. I think Mitch McConnell is going to be the majority leader if if we're successful in December in um, in Georgia. Absolutely, without even, a doubt. Even if you think it, it hinges on what happens in in Georgia, or he's he's safe if either McConnell way. McConnell is majority leader. Ma- so. In the majority, sure. But but I think he's, he's safe either way. Yes. It, my, yes. Minority or majority. I just the, the the issue that that sticks out to me. If you're someone like Josh Hawley who is trying to say, I don't think Mitch McConnell should be the speaker. Uh, excuse me, should be should be the leader. This, like in the House, is just a closed door, secret ballot. You only need a simple majority. Shouldn't be a big uh, hurdle to climb for him. And these are usually pretty perfunctory, pro forma um, exercises. If you really want to make a stink about this, effectively, what you're trying to do is call out your colleagues for not for supporting Mitch McConnell, who I guess would be unpopular in some wings of of the party. And you're basically just trying to score some points for yourself and make your colleagues look bad. And I just don't really understand how that's good long-term Senate politics, but maybe it's not Senate politics. Maybe some of these folks have have broader ambitions. I think when it comes down to, for Mitch McConnell, is these are relationship-driven members in the Senate. I don't think Trump is going to have anywhere close to a bearing on who's going to be supportive of Mitch McConnell. I think this is, by and large, a Twitter conversation, um, and and I, I... you know, just don't see it going anywhere, in particular, given the amount that, you know, SLF spent on these Senate races to help his incoming colleagues. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but moving on to another le- another leader, um, many more questions about... As though uh, there's not <laughs> enough intrigue around Washington right now. I'd love to hear your take on uh, the Nancy Pelosi comments recently, Brendan. Yeah, so obviously a big question uh, is whether Nancy Pelosi wants to stick around as the top Democrat uh, in the House as well. I think everybody, including myself, has pretty much assumed that she is not going to stick around. Um, And I think a lot of that was based on the idea that Republicans were going to have a big majority and life in the minority is not a whole lot of fun. But even before election night, she she made some comments to CNN reflecting on what happened to uh, her husband and said something that struck out to me, and I don't really know how to interpret it, but that uh, the attack on her husband is going to play a role in her decision. So you could read that as I need to be home with my husband, I need to, um, this is more personal, this is more important, I, I don't need to be in Washington anymore. Or you could read that as, I'm not gonna let something like this push me out of my job, I'm not gonna let these people uh, win uh, and think that you can come attack my home and I'm gonna retire. Uh, I tend to read it the latter, so I, I guess at this point it would not shock me, particularly a good night for, for Democrats if uh, Nancy Pelosi does stick around, but that is another huge question that will ultimately lead, of course, to who's going to be the next top Democrat uh, in the House. And I'm sure this is something that we will cover uh, over the weeks ahead uh, as we continue to follow all of this, all of these these fascinating uh, races. And I think it's something, too, that, you know, our guest Jake Sherman may have something to say on as well. We are excited to welcome now Jake Sherman of Punchbowl News, the new hot thing in Washington. Uh, Jake, I'm sure you are a busy man these days, but we wanted to start with a sleep check. How much sleep did you get last night? Uh, somewhere between zero hours and some some minutes that are less than one hour. <laughs> Yikes. How does that work? What's your coffee intake? I've had three cups, but that's usual. Um but I've I I've also and I don't like doing this. I've had a diet. I'm having a diet cook now, and I had a Red Bull for lunch. So um, I am I feel okay. 
and the day is nearing its at least like natural end. So I could at least go home soon and, you know, I got to figure out what to write for our morning edition, which we have some ideas about, but you know, it's, it's all gravy. Good. You're a good man for, for doing this on, on no sleep. Um, but let's just jump in. So, um, maybe, maybe a preview of your, your newsletter tomorrow. Uh, this will be out after that. Uh, what are you hearing in the conference now? What are, what's, what are, what are members saying, uh, Kevin McCarthy's future? What's the buzz over there? So interestingly enough, Brendan, I was on, I thought I was on TV with you, but I think you were gone by the time I started talking. So I kept saying, I, I think Brendan would agree and all this stuff about things I was saying, but I actually don't think you were there. So I will say a few things. Number one. So I think, um, I think a few things. I think that the question of whether McCarthy will be speaker is fine to ask. And I think that's fair enough. Um, the question is not, but like in it, the house is like kind of an elastic institution in the sense that like if you're the speaker and you have the majority which if you, you are the speaker you have the majority there are things you could do to make people happy and even though those things are cringeworthy for the right the right is going to demand a lot of mccarthy he could do them now so the question the better question is what will he have to do to become speaker is he willing to do that or is his play to just say, like, take me as I am. I'm the guy who's going to be the leader and, like, buzz off. And, like, if you want to take me down, try to take me down. Um, that's kind of what Ryan did when you were working for him, Brendan. I mean, I think he did a little bit of, like, I, my intent is to do X, Y, and Z or whatever. But, like, at the end of the day, I mean – McCarthy's going to probably, I mean, according to the people I've been speaking to this morning and this afternoon and last, mostly today, they think they're going to have between 228 and 230 House Republicans, which if the expectations were set correctly, that's like not a bad majority. That's <laughs> like fine. It's not, it's not a wave, but it's fine. I wouldn't go like, I wouldn't go crazy on either side of that. So, um, Listen, Scalise is with him. Stefanik is with him. Um, you know, it's the same kind of people agitating uh, as as always. And the dangerous thing is, and we wrote about this in our midday edition, the Freedom Caucus is coming back to town today for a conference with uh, at CPI, which is Mark Meadows' institution. Um, Meadows found... Um, what I would describe as at least unusual pleasure in torturing McCarthy uh, and to a lesser extent, well, not to a lesser extent, but also Ryan and Boehner in his time. So, I mean, that's the one thing that would scare me, but listen, the, the freedom caucus is not a monolith anymore. So McCarthy's benefited there. Um, so that's kind of my top line thoughts. We're trying to work through what we're going to write about tomorrow morning, but we're not really, we're not set on it yet. Yeah. And we talked about some of those things that, he might have to give away. I mean, but you don't think he could actually just sort of like plow through and say, screw you guys. I'm not giving you anything. I mean, if the margin is, is so narrow, it just feels like they have a lot of leverage to, to ask for things. Yeah. The things they're asking for, he's not going to give them. So can he split the baby? Maybe Um, he's not. What is he not going to give them? He's not going to blow up the house steering committee. That's one thing he's not going to 
to do. That's the there's a tremendous amount of power, as you know, in having the ability to put people on committees that you want. He's not going to um, uh, change the motion of vacate again. I mean, no speaker in their right mind would do that. Uh, I don't think um, that was something that Ryan was was quite. I don't think he ever did it, but he would. He promised to do it at the time. Um, and I think the last thing is like agree on the house rules before the leadership election, which I guess he could do it. Like, so that's my, that's where I like, there's this, there's this mismatch in timing, right? So mm-hmm. they're going to go into this leadership election tomorrow, which we already discussed, like doesn't really matter because they'll have an easy majority. It's the, the real vote is on the floor in January, but the things they're going to be asking for, you typically decide last or next week as well. The house, the, the, the rules package comes together next week as well. And are they going to make those demands next week? Are you know, is it all going to be put to bed next week? I, or is this going to be a thing I imagine where he's just kind of twisted in the wind a little bit for, for two weeks or two months, letting, allowing them to make some demands. He's going to twist in the wind. Um, and it's a long time to twist in the wind. I mean, a really long time with a real lot of um, here's the problem. I think also it's not only a long time to twist in the wind, but it's a long time to twist in the wind with a lot of roadblocks or, or speed bumps that he can neither control nor have influence over. Like uh, you and I have talked about this offline, Brendan, and I think we have a disagreement here, but I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. Like, Mitch McConnell might want to get rid of, like, might want a debt ceiling increase and a large spending bill in the lame duck. It, let's just say, for argument's sake, he does, and and there's enough Senate Republicans to bring it across the finish line. Um, like McCarthy can't control that; it will piss people off. But he has nothing in his arsenal to control that, and that's going to piss people off because his opposition, without naming names, they're not logical people. These were the same people who thought you could repeal Obamacare with a Democrat in the White House. I mean, these are the same these are the same dopes that thought that, like, if you only fight hard enough, Obama will like do X, Y. Like, these aren't logical people. These are silly people. These are in many respects, you know, clowns. So, I mean, it's just it's just we we have kind of a. McCarthy's in a no-win situation when ta- when dealing with these very difficult issues that he has very little control over, unless he can control McConnell, which he can't. So you're you're getting at what happens in the lame duck, and so the situation here is government funding runs out in December. Uh, there's talk of potentially doing a debt limit in the lame duck, which I'm very skeptical will happen. They don't need to do that until late next year anyway. Um, but the the question of funding the government is a critical one for Kevin McCarthy, because if they are able to do a long-term spending deal, kick spending the, the spending issue into September, October of next year, that gives him so much breathing room to start a new majority. If they aren't able to do that, the most likely thing they'll do is kick a continuing resolution into February or March, and it'll be one of the first things a new Congress would have to do. So that's a huge problem for Kevin McCarthy. If he gets through a bruising speakership race, and then the first thing he has to do is do a bipartisan deal to fund the government, which conservatives will hate. But I think where we perhaps have a disagreement is you seem to think that there can just be sort of a three corners deal between McConnell, Pelosi, 
and Schumer, and they'll just jam it through the House and the Senate. And McCarthy will say that he's against it because he has to. But that puts a lot of pressure on Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, who we were just discussing, is already facing a little heat from his own members. I don't think his position is in question, but it's basically making Mitch McConnell eat a huge crap sandwich for Kevin McCarthy so that he doesn't have to deal with funding and take all the political blowback from Republicans. Yeah, so that's actually precisely what I'm saying. <laughs> that's precisely what I'm saying, because um, the alternative, if so if you think about it from, and not that McConnell cares who the speaker is, but like, if McCarthy is not the speaker, I don't know where you, I mean, I guess you go to Scalise, and, and maybe he can get 218, but like, what's the improvement there? What is Scalise, I was just talking about this with Brett, with my colleague, John Bresnahan, who's covered this stuff for 25 years, and he, his point is like, what does Scalise do different than McCarthy? And like, why is there an improvement? There's no improvement. They're not, I mean, they're different dudes, but they have the same set of kind of tools in their toolbox. So the, for McCarthy, for McConnell, like McCarthy is the best option. He just is. And and if if he could take a bullet for him here, so to speak, um it serves everyone's interest. McConnell gets, maybe I should write this, but McConnell gets a, a speaker of the house, the speaker of the house. Who's like at least workable and not nuts. Um, they clear all this stuff to the end of the year, by the way, like I would say, I would say less likely than a, a January, February, March CR is a June CR. Cause I think they try to push it back. I mean, I'm just, I don't know why I'm saying that, but I just feel like three months is not a long time. Maybe six months seems better, but then you really can't even do an Omni. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I agree with you. This is a really bad, <laughs> tricky situation. I mean, I, I got an email this morning from um, from uh, uh, someone, a, a veteran Hill reporter, who said this is the murkiest situation I've ever seen in covering Congress. And I, I agree. I agree. And like, um, yeah, I, I, I don't have a sense that uh it's terribly workable and again the his opposition who are demanding things both procedurally structurally and legislatively are not honest actors in the sense that they don't they choose things to fight over just because they want something to fight over which you had a lot of experience with in those Jake I want to bring us back a little bit to um some of the upcoming leadership elections because you know, there's a lot of looks at the at the speakership, and um, you know, I, I know we're going to have this contested contested race with the with the deputy with the whip. So I'm just curious. I mean, if you're if you're Rep. Emmer, you're kind of going into this maybe uh, going into yesterday with maybe a really strong position, and now you're coming out of it, you're going to have a lot of different challenges and fractures. Uh, so I'm curious what you're hearing, what you're seeing with, you know, maybe a Banks or a Ferguson or how that's shaping up. Uh, speaking of murky, Lord. So Emmer was banking on the fact, Tom Emmer, NRCC chair, um, who was banking on the fact that he would have a big night and he would become whip on the strength of that big night. He didn't have a big night. He had a, he had a big night by normal. He had a fine night by normal explanation. Unfortunately, McCarthy thought it was wise to say he was going to win 70 seats a year ago. So everyone had that in their mind. And so when he won 16, people are like, or when, if he wins 16, people are just like, well, that's not great. It's not 70. Um, Emmer thought he would be able to carry that to victory. Um, 
he's not been able he, he's not able to do that now. Now what they're basically trying to say is um the Emmer team is this is only the third time the house has flipped in 50 years or in a century, which is true. I mean, 294, 2010, and now 2022. Um, I don't know that that's going to be a compelling argument. I don't know that it's not. I mean, Emmer's making phone calls today. I don't know where it's going to end up for him. Jim Banks uh, is uh, is the Trump candidate in the race. He doesn't like to say that. He wants to say he's going to be the bridge builder between moderates and uh, conservatives, he, I don't know why he's saying that um, because I don't, I don't, there's not much evidence. He does have some 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 um, endorsers from the middle of the conference, which is good for him and helpful for him. And he does have an impressive coalition. The least, and so by the way, because he's a Trump person, and Trump looks like a buffoon for his how he how he acted in in this in the midterms and his results in the midterms, that could impact banks. I'm not sure it will, but it could. Now, the least bruised of all of these folks is Drew Ferguson. I mean, Drew Ferguson is the chief deputy whip, Republican of Georgia. Um, Kevin McCarthy despises him for reasons that are not entirely clear to me. I think there was some perceived slight a while ago. It's really caught up in this longtime psychodrama between Scalise and McCarthy, who have had a difficult past, which... Brendan will remember Paul Ryan was somewhat involved in back in 20 uh, in in, in uh, I guess that was 2018 or whenever it was when when uh, Ryan said he was going to retire and Scalise toyed with with being like, no, you sh- like, no Kevin, you're not the next in line. So it's all caught up in McCarthy's kind of it's not insecurities, but not he doesn't completely trust Scalise is what I think the best way to describe it is. I don't know who the hell is going to win this thing. I mean, Ferguson has the best case to make. He's a whip. He's whipped before. It's a slim majority. They need a good whip. I don't know that McCarthy thinks he's a good whip. <laughs> I think that's the problem. Um, but there, this is a big, this is a big deal because um, usually when you get in the leadership, you kind of stick around. So you're not really running for one term you're kind of running for a while right brendan is another good way to look at it i mean jim banks gets in the leadership he all of a sudden becomes a or any of these guys they become fixtures around the table there's no term limits in the leadership he could be there forever um i don't know that he would be but it's just it's it's a big race for a lot of reasons yeah there's no uh being a conservative hero anymore if you're the whip either you're now a leadership guy so you think that do you assume that Emmer is a little damaged after yeah, this? I do. A lot damaged? I don't know how to, uh, it's tough for me to know entirely because they're not here right now. So I'm relying on a, a large but kind of self-selective sample size of people who I talk to when they're not in Washington. Um, but it's difficult to get the body language and stuff and, and really understand what's going on. Um I think he's damaged. I think he's damaged. I think I think that his core now listen his core case was like all these people would owe me cuz I brought them to Washington and I mean I, I I don't know that people feel that way. I don't know that they ever felt that way, but I don't know that they feel that way. I think I think gun to his head McCarthy obviously wants Banks or Emmer. I think that I've talked to a lot of people around McCarthy today who says it's who say it's Banks now. It's got to be Banks. Um I I think he's damaged, Brendan. I don't know how damaged he is. And and think about it this way. If this goes to they're gonna go they're gonna do this election Tuesday. 
if this goes to a second ballot, who's the first eliminated? Probably Emmer at this point, I guess, right? And I and I I probably would have said Ferguson before, but I don't know if I would say that anymore. That's why leadership elections are, are fascinating because they're all behind closed doors. Um, everybody, you know, tells people different things to their face, but it's a secret ballot. And then you have these sort of these this runoff situation where just if if you're not in the top two, you you drop out, and then those votes get get split up elsewhere. So it'll be, I think, fascinating to watch. Do you think? I'd love to make you make a prediction. Do you think there are actually our leadership elections next week, or do do some of the Freedom Caucus or whoever it may be make some demands that they they delay them? He's got to plow through. McCarthy's got to plow through. He can't delay him. Um, I don't think. I mean, if I were, because he doesn't want these guys to agitate more. He wants to lock them down, get them in a room. He can't lose on the. He's not going to lose in the in the conference. It's a as you know. It's a it's a simple it's a simple majority, fifty percent plus one. Um, you know, and it doesn't help them. And, and listen, Scalise and Stefanik don't want to delay it. They don't. I don't think they really care, but they don't want to delay it. Um, you know, I listen. I don't know. I don't. I do think it happens next week. I do because let me give you a reason. Let me, let me, here's, reason. Let me just. Go I know what you're going to say already. I know what you're going to say you're going to say if he has to give him something, this is an easy thing to give him. It's an easy right? thing to give him. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Fine. That's that's a fair way to think of it. But like, if I'm thinking like McCarthy, I think I have a pretty reasonable uh, chance of thinking like him because I've covered him for now 15 years, as as you know, or whatever it's been. Um, the straightest path is the best path. And like, if you start looking around and getting nervous and like, just get this done, plow through, get in the room, get, if they're at 230, let's say they're at 238 for argument's sake, get to 119. Is that right? Yeah. 119 and, and call it a day. Don't mess around. Get it done. Don't get nervous. Keep your head down and get it done. No reason not to. They'll forget about they'll forget it. They'll forget about not getting a delay. I mean, like, by the way, like I was talking to sorry to interrupt, but like I was talking to somebody who's a Trump aligned person today about about this. And he's somebody who's cozy with the right. And he's like, they're not going to not make Kevin speaker. They're not going to drag this out. They don't want this mess on their hands. I don't know that that's true, but like, think about that. I just think that like. Anyway, that's that's my guess. I agree with you, Jake. I think they're going to plow ahead for what it's worth. Two v one on Brendan there. But I, last question, because I want to get your take on this. Brendan was talking a little bit about um, Nancy Pelosi and some of her comments recently relating to the attack on her husband and how she's looking at her future leadership prospects. Curious what you're hearing about that. Um, if if you have uh, had any conversations about you know how to read the tea leaves of how she's thinking about that. Well, I I. She seems to be signaling. I mean, God, I spent the last dozen years being wrong about Nancy Pelosi. So I, I'll tell you what I think. I have no, I have no idea whether it's true. She seems to be signaling that, you know, she might want to spend more time with her family. I, I mean, isn't that what you guys think? I don't have any. I, I don't know. I mean, would it be some? Would it surprise me if she stuck around? No. I mean, it would not surprise me because I thought she was going to retire after 2010, and she didn't. I, I think you could read her comments 
both ways. I think you could read it as I need to spend more time with my family, or you could read it as I'm not going to allow someone to attack my husband and think that's how you get me to retire. Yeah. And, and a lot fair. of a lot of the Nancy Pelosi brand or persona, at least that her folks like to present is that she's tough as nails. You don't push her around. And I just wonder if she'd like, you know, it, it, the, the fact that she raised this, as she said, what happened is going to be a major factor in my decision. I found very surprising. She didn't raise it on her own, though. I mean, she was asked. Yeah, but she could have said, I've made a decision or I'll make a decision on lots of factors. And that's one of them. But she was just very direct yeah. about it. And I don't, yeah. just, to be clear, I don't blame her at all if she if she thinks it's time to go. Like, I've had enough and I'm ready to- My husband know, be, was, be was my... beat over the head with the hammer by a lunatic. And I want to spend time with him as he recovers. I don't think is a is an unreasonable thing either. All right, we'll get you out of here. Can you just describe, though, what's the mood over there <laughs> right now? Uh, Shell-shocked. I think that describes it all. I mean, the people I've talked to today are just like, what just happened? We got it. We, we raised up half a billion dollars and even more than that, actually close to a billion dollars, like 700 something million dollars. We were talking about 40 seats, 30 seats, you know, and now we're at, we want 15. It just doesn't feel right. That's what they're saying. Do you feel like there's any reflection going on? No, just zero. confusion. Yeah. Just confusion. What are they going to reflect on me? They've they've set their they've set their um, cast their lot with Trump and with you know and if you look at I just want to say one more thing though if you look at the candidates that lost that should have won they're all bad candidates who are Trumpy or endorsed by Trump or whatever Joe uh, Bo Hines in um, in uh, uh, North Carolina North Carolina and uh, uh, Caroline Levitt in um, in uh, New Hampshire. New Hampshire. And, sorry, I'm a little slow. Uh, J.R. Majus- Majewski in Ohio. Um, all these people are just not, are not, they were, I mean, now we're, now they're saying they're bad candidates after they dumped all this money into their campaigns, the the, the party committee and the super PAC. Um, listen, candidates matter. I hate to sound cliche, but like the NRCC ought to stop, you know, playing coy with this. You got to get good candidates in races and get bad candidates out of races. And if you don't do that, you're not clear headed about it. You're not going to win races. That goes for both party committees in my view. I definitely agree. And I, and I think there, there was some for both parties, some lessons learned too. I mean, some of these candidates, I think there was frustrations among the Republican party and, and myself in particular of the uh, funding that was going on and playing in primaries and the Republican primaries by Democrats. Yeah, I, I just particular candidates. Yeah, I, there's so many different layers of getting involved in primaries. But I think like the basic theory should be we are and McConnell used to say this, right? Like we are he did less of it this time around, but we are in the business of winning elections. And if the business is winning a general election, we're going to make sure that we're not driving like a broke down Honda Civic from 1982 to the finish line. Like we want the best candidate there. And I just think that like, it's, it's about practice to not get your best, the best candidate you can in a race. All right, Jake, thank you for your time. We will you look forward to reading uh punch bowl news tomorrow morning and our story will continue. Lots more drama to come clearly. Uh, thank you for uh, sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you guys. Control is a production of Seven Letter, 
a leading strategic communications firm in Washington, D.C. and Boston, with deep experience in bipartisan public affairs, public relations, crisis management, digital strategy, and corporate engagement. Special thanks to our producer, Benji Englander. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please join us next week for another episode, and don't forget to rate and review us. Thank you for listening.